Thank you for being here. This has been a year like no other. It's my privilege for the first time to address you as chancellor of one of the 12 members of the Big Ten, rather than as one of the 10 members of the Big 12. <laughs> Which proves there are three kinds of athletic conferences, those who can count and those who can't. Over the last decade, we have grown from a place of modest ambition and accomplishment to a university of energy, optimism, and self-confidence. We have served our year in the wilderness and are now a full member of the Big Ten. In so many ways, we are a different university. I'm fre frequently asked what our entry into the Big Ten means. In athletics, it's a new set of peers, new rivalries, new venues, new challenges. In academics, it's new colleagues, a new seat on the Committee on Institutional Cooperation, a new set of opportunities and expectations. The most important impact of our transition to the Big Ten is, however, in how we must view ourselves and what new ambitions we must embrace. We have the opportunity to reset the table, to now start anew to reformulate our ambitions and our aspirations, to set new goals and objectives, to rise to the elevated expectations in which we have been draped, to take advantage of the opportunities that lie ahead, to learn from but also to lead our new peers, to demonstrate that while we are in a new place, there is still no place like Nebraska. The disappointment of losing our membership in AAU remains. While membership provided a vague reputational benefit, it was neither a direct nor driving force in the pace and scope of our success. The AAU's invitation to join their association in 1909 was a recognition of our excellence and our value to the goals of the organization. In 2011, it was the organization's goals that changed, not our excellence. The AAU's decision to withdraw our membership has been widely analyzed and commonly criticized as an indication of the growing disconnect between the elites of American higher education and contemporary reality. I would not have asked any of you to diminish your focus on solving real problems in order to retain AAU status. I would not have turned away from our commitment to access for Nebraska young people or our dedication to serving the people of Nebraska in order to stay in the AAU. Our path is the right one for a socially relevant, forward-looking public research university. That path simply diverged from the new course that some AAU members have set and we'll let history judge which path will pay greater dividends. In my 11 years as your chancellor, I have never felt as challenged to do more or as confident that more can be done. Our budget condition is far superior to most other public universities. While we will miss those of our senior colleagues who took advantage of our voluntary separation program, their departure allows us to make investments in our future. We have experienced considerable growth in enrollment, resulting in some strains on our facilities and our instructional capacity, and yet the quality of our undergraduate student body and the nature of their experience has never been higher. Notwithstanding the budget pressures in Washington on federal agency research expenditures, we are in many ways uniquely positioned to contribute to the solution of the world's problems and the betterment of the human condition. The state's unexpected investment of $25 million and the partnership we have formed with Woodbury Corporation will jumpstart Innovation Campus with its potential for generating significant private sector partnerships, economic growth for Nebraska, 
and new research opportunities for the university. The University of Nebraska Foundation's capital campaign continues to set records for philanthropic giving to initiatives that will provide long-term enhancements to the university. A reinvigorated alumni association is demonstrating the strong support we can expect from our alumni as we engage in the hard and important work of serving our students and the people of Nebraska. In my first day of the university address, I set out to detail the accomplishments of the year before. It may be some measure of our success that to do so now would far exceed your patience. Last year, there were national faculty recognitions, such as Margaret Jacobs' receipt of the Bancroft Prize for the best published book in American history. There were the successes of our students as they competed nationally and internationally for scholarships, awards, and recognitions. There were the growing number and scale of faculty innovations entering the marketplace. There was the decision by Bayer Crop Science, a large German company, to choose Nebraska to be its North American headquarters for wheat breeding a decision driven by their desire to be engaged with Steve Benzinger and his team of university wheat breeders. There were innumerable instances of advice given, of studies conducted, or courses taught that resulted in a better crop yield, a more marketable animal, a more efficient or environmentally friendly practice that fulfilled our land-grant responsibilities. And there were the individual stories of accomplishment as another class of students crossed the stage at their graduation. I urge you all to attend a commencement ceremony if for no other reason than to share in the amusement of the creativity of our graduates' footwear and robe decorations. <laughs> but there is also the joy, anticipation, excitement, and pride as each student whose talent and energy we will need to secure our own future leaves us to forge their own life with new skills and knowledge they've acquired at the university. They take a piece of us when they go, and they gift us a piece of themselves when they leave. These achievements and the multitude not mentioned form the foundation that permits us to fashion an ambitious agenda moving forward. In a few moments, I will emphasize those priorities our entry into the Big Ten require. But first, I want to highlight current activities that continue to deserve our attention. This university must continue to expand its global engagement, we must encourage our students to study abroad and insist that our own curricula and programming reflect the global environment. We bear an extraordinary responsibility for developing the future leaders of our state and country. And I am pleased that working with ASUN, the Division of Student Affairs embarked on a character campaign last year with our undergraduates. Further academic and student affairs have collaborated in developing a certificate in civic engagement, which should soon receive final approval. Supporting these efforts will be the new Center for Civic Engagement housed in the Student Union. As we move forward, we cannot lose sight of the importance of diversifying our faculty as an important element of diversifying our student body. No one should doubt that this remains an important priority as well as a prerequisite to some of the initiatives I will announce in a few moments. There are significant opportunities for the more strategic use of information technology to advance the priorities of the university. A task force led by our CIO, Mark Askren, and co-chaired by Deans Kebbell and Dickey had focused on providing more efficiently a base foundation of information technology services to the campus so that resources could be freed to be applied more strategically for these advances. We need to take those recommendations seriously. Vice Chancellor Ronnie Green is leading a planning effort to address the future of rural America. 
This could be a major initiative and with very ambitious goals for improving the economic vitality of rural Nebraska. We have a start with the Engler Entrepreneurship Program designed to help expand agricultural business activity. The entire university has a stake in making this initiative successful. Eleven years ago, I suggested that if we were to be successful as a university, we needed to focus our attention on two priorities, undergraduate education and research. These were related directly to the needs of the state of Nebraska. We recognized then that Nebraska needed to retain its young people and to attract others, and that the quality of our undergraduate program was an important element in that effort. To that end, we have built an undergraduate experience that is increasingly attractive to both young Nebraskans and those from elsewhere. We recognize that they would stay in Nebraska after graduation only if the state could provide them with employment opportunities that match their newly acquired skills. We know that in an innovative economy, our research creates jobs. To that end, we greatly elevated our research profile and we expect that Innovation Campus will leverage those efforts on behalf of Nebraska. I want to suggest that if we elevate our ambitions as a Big Ten University, these same priorities remain the key to our success. I want to propose that for both undergraduate education and research, we pursue very ambitious, maybe audacious, goals for this university and that we focus our efforts on achieving them. Of the public universities in the Big Ten, we have the smallest enrollment and our graduation rates are below average. If we are to raise the profile of UNL, we must grow enrollment and enhance our students' success. Our enrollment is slightly, this fall will be slightly under 25,000 students. We will have experienced five solid years of growth from the 22,000 students we reported just five years ago. Our average ACT scores of entering classes remain at a high point for the university, as does the diversity of our student body. Can we continue to grow? The demographics of Nebraska with declining numbers of high school graduates presents a challenge. However, our increasing attractiveness to non-residents and international students and our Big Ten status presents an opportunity. Our physical capacity for growth has expanded. The Antelope Valley Project has freed several acres of university land from the floodplain for future development. The acquisition of the Textron property added 17 acres and linked the campus to the Whittier Research Center. The Land for Innovation Campus provides an outlet for some university research facilities to complement the private sector facilities we hope to attract. We also acquired the surplus military property north of the campus. The growing vibrancy of downtown Lincoln, the reinvigoration of the P and Q Street corridors leading to the Haymarket, and the new arena will energize this community and make it more attractive to prospective students. We believe that the environment is such that we can aspire to become a larger university. Why should we so aspire? First and foremost, the world economy has become a race for the attraction of talent. The future of this state depends on its ability to attract young talent to its communities, and the university has an important role to play in this effort. Through the engaged leadership of President Milliken, I believe policymakers and increasing numbers of citizens have come to understand the economic potential of the university. Second, scale is not an insignificant factor in our ability to compete with our colleagues in the Big Ten or in this region. I'm convinced that our opportunities will grow exponentially with a growth in enrollment. 
Third, of course, is our recognition that enrollment growth, if properly managed, can increase our resources. Over the last five to six years, we have had an average annual growth of approximately 2.25%. This growth resulted from increasing quality of our undergraduate program, the strong leadership of Dean Allen Cervini as admissions staff, and most importantly, most importantly, the engagement of the faculty in the recruitment process. We all came to realize it was our collective self-interest to grow enrollment, and this could only be accomplished if everyone made it a part of their job description. Many of you did. To move forward, we will need many more of you to contribute. We cannot just assume enrollment will grow, as evidenced by an essentially flat enrollment this year. Faculty involvement is key. I propose that the University of Nebraska-Lincoln make it a high priority to increase its enrollment by an average of 3% over the next six years, that by 2017 we should be a university approaching 30,000 students. To do so would give us the scale and the resources we need to be competitive. Our retention and graduation rates are below those of our region's peers and considerably below the average of the Big Ten. Graduation rates are correlated generally to the academic credentials of the student body and the financial resources they have available to them during their stay at the university. Most of our peer institutions, and particularly those in the Big Ten, draw from larger populations, are more selective in their admissions, and have greater financial aid resources. Given our current circumstances, it could be said that we are meeting expectations. But meeting expectations is not the standard to which we should aspire. I am confident that if we made an institution-wide commitment to student success, we could be recognized as the land-grant institution that outperformed its predicted success and yet stayed true to its mission of serving the students of Nebraska, including those whose talents and capacities are not yet fully expressed and those who face financial restraints. Last year, our first-year retention rate was 84%. The average of our Regents' peers was 86%, and the average of the Big Ten was 91%. Our six-year graduation rate was 64%. The average of our Regents' peers was 69%, and the average of the Big Ten was 79%. These numbers often misrepresent what actually occurs in higher education. As we report in the National Collegiate Portrait, after four years of enrollment, 88% of our entering first-time freshmen either have graduated from UNL, are still enrolled at UNL, or have enrolled or graduated at another post-secondary institution. And while our six-year graduation rate is just over 64%, after the sixth year, we see that approximately 10% more have graduated from another university, and about another 10% are still enrolled at UNL or elsewhere. The real problem we face is that our students are taking too long to graduate. The term lifelong learning was not intended to describe an undergraduate <laughs> education. We serve our students best, particularly those floundering in the wilderness of indecision, if we provide gentle but increasingly firm pressure to finish up, and if we array our student services to make that possible. Not every student will or should graduate in four years. Some degree programs are longer. Participation in internships and study abroad programs inevitably extend the graduation period. But this university should adopt as a high priority the increase in our retention rate and the shortening of the time to degree. 
If we are to grow enrollment for all of the good reasons I suggest, it will be easier to keep the students we recruit than to recruit new ones. Enhancing retention and graduation rates relates directly to enrollment growth. Over the summer, we interacted with consultants. We're able to benchmark our own retention activities against our Big Ten peers. We are exploring new technologies that will greatly assist faculty and advisors to identify students at risk. Senior Vice Chancellor Weisinger has structured her office to lead this effort. Vice Chancellor Franco's units are prepared to offer the required support. But again, most importantly, we will need the increased attention and engagement by faculty and staff to achieve this objective. Over the next six years, we should increase our graduation rates by an average of at least 1% per year. Our current six-year graduate is 64%. If we increase this by 1% per year, by 2017, we would achieve a 70% rate, which would put us at the average of our peers and far exceed what is expected of us. We can accomplish this objective without changing our admission standards or decreasing access to the university. We will need to make investments, adapt new management tools for delivering a dependable and efficient curriculum, and increase the monitoring of student achievement to identify those students who are at risk. The P-16 initiative, led by Governor Heinemann and President Milliken, has recommended universities make an effort to constrain their graduation requirements to 120 credit hours. The state colleges have already adopted that policy, and it's likely our Board of Regents will as well. I am asking every undergraduate college to adopt this standard. At UNL, the College of Business Administration has already moved to 120 credit hour requirement, and several programs in the College of Education and Human Sciences have done the same. For the class that enters the university in the fall of 2012, every undergraduate major should require no more than 120 credit hours for graduation unless the program can demonstrate that accrediting or other externally imposed requirements make that impossible. In addition to shorten the time it takes to graduation, 120-hour curriculum should create additional teaching capacity that will help us achieve our enrollment objective. It also opens up opportunities for carefully crafted master's programs that can be completed within a total of five or six years. We should embrace the reality that a master's degree is increasingly becoming an important credential in today's economy. I'm not unmindful that the enrollment and student success goals I've outlined will place additional burdens on faculty and our investment in faculty must be enhanced. While the mix of persons engaged in the teaching enterprise has changed, at a major, major research university, a, a sufficiently large and vibrant tenure-track faculty remains essential. Accordingly, I propose that we pursue over the next six years an increase in tenure-track faculty to 1,300 an increase of 160 faculty members with an average, which on average is a growth rate of about 2.25% per year. We must pursue a corresponding increase in professors of practice, lectures, professional staff, and support infrastructure to accommodate our enrollment growth. These new faculty and instructional resources will be allocated to those colleges that contribute effectively to our enrollment and retention goals and to academic units that host the campus most successful research, scholarship, and creative activity. Our intention is to create an environment in which every academic unit can move forward if they are actively engaged in our enrollment, retention, and research goals. Research defines the nature of the university. It impacts the quality of our undergraduate experience. It feeds our ability to pursue our land-grant mission in service to Nebraska.
Over the last decade, we have grown our research faster than most public and private research universities. Your efforts in pursuit of the research agenda played a key role in our admission into the Big Ten and the public support for the university and for our initiative on innovation campus. Yet here, too, we have left much to accomplish. As we move to the Big Ten, we bring some research initiatives in which we are national leaders. Overall, however, our institutional research productivity has room to grow. We come into the Big Ten with the strongest upward trajectory for increasing research expenditures, but still last in total amount. What we need is an institution-wide commitment to research and to fashion an ambitious agenda for the future. I appreciate that some disciplines have greater opportunity to acquire research grants. Other disciplines' research products are largely in publication and creative work. We can measure some disciplines' competitiveness by dollars. In others, we can measure competitiveness by awards and invitations to memberships in honorary societies. There may be other nationally recognized metrics as well. The key is that we must significantly enhance the measures of our national competitiveness. This past year, we exceeded 100 million in federal research awards for the first time. However, a more appropriate measure for us is now not research awards, but research expenditures, the basis used for national comparison to our peers. I propose that within the next six years, we set a goal of reaching 300 million in total research expenditures, of which 150 million which should be from federal awards. This is an ambitious goal, but no more ambitious than what we set out to do and did 10 years ago. It's difficult to describe a numerical goal for increasing our recognitions and memberships in national honorary societies. However, each college should work with their vice chancellor to develop a strategy and a realistic target for greater achievement in this area. We should double our memberships and recognitions. We are uniquely positioned to achieve these objectives with ongoing research initiatives that form the foundation of our past success in areas like material science, laser applications, virology, plant transformation, redox biology, transportation, digital humanities, and educational research, among many others. More significantly, we have new initiatives that carry high expectations of significant funding. The Doherty Water for Food Institute addresses one of the most significant issues facing the world, how we are going to produce enough food to satisfy the expanding world population. Food scarcity and security are issues that will define the next three decades, and this university is particularly positioned for a leadership role. The Buffett Institute in Early Childhood Education has the potential to significantly enhance an already established reputation in this important area. In a competition for talent, the United States cannot afford to waste the talent it produces, and we know that the experiences of children through age eight plays a very substantial role in how that talent will develop. The Durham School of Architectural Engineering and Construction is one of the few places in the country bringing both design professionals and construction professionals together in an integrated program. It is positioned to make significant contributions to the energy efficiency of the built environment, an area that could have more impact on our energy independence than transportation. In cooperation with the athletic department, which is incorporating a research wing in the new stadium expansion, we have making substantial investments in faculty for the new Center for Brain, Biology, and Behavior, which will blend some unique talent we have in the social sciences and education with those related to human health and the life sciences. 
A current concern over concussions in student-athletes is only one of the important issues the Center will address, and we have already assumed a leadership role in the Big Ten initiative in this area. Innovation Campus gives us a, bit, a new asset to utilize to elevate the research profile of the university. There are significant research synergies to be achieved through public-private partnerships. Our Big Ten status now requires that we capitalize on these as well as other opportunities to enhance our research profile. The objectives I have proposed are ambitious but realistic. Ten years ago, when Prem Paul challenged us to achieve $100 million in federal research, I suspect many of us skeptically humored him. But we did it, and I'm asking you to do it once again. So what does becoming a Big Ten University mean for us? I'm proposing that it means the following, that by 2017 we'll be a university with 30,000 students and 1,300 tenure-track faculty, a six-year graduation rate of 70% for our undergraduates, total research expenditures of $300 million, twice the number of faculty receiving national recognition and awards for their research and creative activity. I am confident that we can achieve these targets if every academic unit on the campus is involved. By the beginning of the spring semester, we expect every college, department, center, and interdisciplinary program to establish in consultation with the appropriate dean and vice chancellor a target for that unit with respect to each of these items. We recognize that academic units are differentially positioned to contribute to some of these objectives, but we also expect that the summation of unit objectives will equal the institutional objectives I have proposed. For the first time during my tenure as chancellor, we are announcing campus-wide initiatives focused primarily on growth. If the last decade can be summarized as 10 years during which we determinedly chose to become better, the next decade will be characterized by an equally determined effort to become bigger without sacrificing the excellence we have achieved. A critical mass of successful students and talented faculty and productive faculty and talented staff is necessary to catalyze the steeper trajectory required to compete with our new peers. We'll learn soon that growth carries its own complexities. At the same time, the campus administration in consultation with deans and others will be constructing mechanisms that will reward those units who meet or exceed their targets. In this way, we can assure that enrollment, graduation rates, research, and faculty recognitions will be a welcome structure for the faculty's ambitious plans for moving forward. This is the 12th time I've delivered this address. I'm more energized, more optimistic now than in any of the years that I've been privileged to lead the campus. I particularly enjoy leading, or as most often the case, following a very gifted leadership team, individuals who have been committed to the university and not to any personal agenda. I particularly want to welcome Ellen Weisinger to her new permanent role as Academic Vice Chancellor, to Tim Way, the new Dean of Engineering, and Pat DeSalt, the new Dean of Graduate Studies. All of you, faculty, staff, students, have generated a long list of accomplishments for which I have received far too much personal credit. But it's not an unpleasant task to accept the kudos on your behalf. <laughs> I'm often asked the question, just what does a chancellor do? For me, this is a perplexing question because no two days are the same and a laundry list of what I do on a daily basis seems an unwelcome response to the question. Searching for a metaphor, I first considered whether the chancellor might be much like the Wizard of Oz. 
the odd character behind the curtain pulling the levers of the Emerald City. But the image of leverage, lever pulling seemed inappropriate for an institution of higher education. Rather, it seems to me that a university at its best is a collection of talent and interacting relationships, sometimes reflected in organizational charts and sometimes not, that seek to contribute to the symphony of education, research, and service. A university then is like a jukebox, a collection of different tunes, not always in harmony, but all a part of an overall repertoire that contributes to the success of the people we serve. On a personal note, I'm beginning to relate to George Burns' comment that when I was young, the Dead Sea was only sick. <laughs> I understand the natural curiosity about a chancellor's personal plans when that person has reached my age and has served for an extended period of time. There are a number of country songs that may reflect the thoughts of some of you. For example, that well-known classic, I liked you better before I knew you so well. <laughs> or Lynn Anderson's masterpiece, I keep forgetting I forgot about you. Or the memorable song by Dan Hicks, how can I miss you if you won't go away? Others of you may be longing for the day when you can sing Billy Walker's Lament. I'm so miserable without you, it's like having you here. <laughs> if the role of the faculty and staff is to continue to supply the jukebox with new music, the role of the chancellor seems to be to feed the jukebox with quarters so that the music can continue. That's what I do. I feed the jukebox. How do I currently feel about continuing in that role? Joe Diffie summed up my current thinking.